we want to start making our way back to our seats, we'll continue worshiping this morning through looking at the Word of God together. It's been so good to be here for the past month already. We've been here for a month already. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah boo. Harry's not, not excited about this. Um, it's been a great month. We've been really amazed just to feel like this church family has become our church family. Um, it feels natural to come to church on Sunday mornings and feel like we're coming home to our family. So thank you for being our church family. Thank you for being a group of people uh, who understand that this isn't something that we do alone. Uh, this church Christian walk is something that we do together as a part of a family and as a part of a community. So last week we were in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and what we really saw last week was a picture of discipleship. And what that really means is that we are all on this Christian journey together, we're all on this, in this process of looking more and more like Jesus Christ together. And on this journey, some of us are ahead of us on this journey, and we see how they walk the Christian walk, we see how they live their lives, and we imitate them, we learn from their examples. Also on this journey, there's people behind us. There's people who are newer in their Christian walk, who are learning from our examples by imitating us. And this is what discipleship looks like. We're not alone on this journey. We got people on it along with us, and we learn from them as people also learn from us. So that's what we learned last week. This week, we're moving into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, what we see is Paul defending his ministry. And what he's doing is he's talking about the motivation behind his ministry. He's saying, this is why I came to preach the gospel to you. Because as we get into this passage, we'll see more and more that his motivation then is really the same motivation that we have today. Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel, for pointing people to Christ, is the same as ours today, and it's this. We proclaim the gospel out of love for God and others. We proclaim the gospel out of love for God and others. So I'm going to read this passage for us. It's 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. It's a, it's a longer passage, but I'm going, to, I'm going to read through it, and then we'll, we'll pray and dive in. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal did not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle in them like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel to you, uh, gospel of God. You are witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you 
to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Heavenly Father, these words that we read and that we meditate upon, Lord, they're true. They're spoken from you to us. They're for us now to read and to learn from and to change the way that we live, act, and talk, Lord. Your word is powerful. It's living. It's active. So I pray, Lord, that as we read it, it would do a heart surgery on us. It would change us, Father. We submit to the truths we find here and to you as our Lord. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in kindergarten, I have this memory that's burned into my mind. Uh, I was off next to the school playing with my friends, and I was probably p- playing Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles or something like this. It's all the rage in the early 90s. And I was playing with my friends, minding my own business, when a teacher comes up to me, grabs me by the wrist, and drags me aclo- across the playground. And I don't know what's going on. She drags me up to this girl who's crying and weeping, and she looks at me and she says, what did you do? What did you do to her? And I just remember this sense of indignation, right? Like, what are you talking about? So I did what any person would do in that situation. I vehemently denied it. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I was over here minding my own business. I don't even know this girl. What do you think? What do you think I'm doing? And so she turns to the girl and she says, is this the boy? Is this the one who did it to you? And she thankfully shakes her head no. And so that awkward moment, the teacher turns back to me and says, oh, sorry. <laughs> and, I, and I go back playing Ninja Turtles, but I remember this moment so clearly because you know what that's like being falsely accused of something. When you're falsely accused of something, you want to make it absolutely clear that you had nothing to do with it, that the punishment that you're getting uh, is not justified, and you want to get off the hook. And so that memory has been burnt in my mind because of that feeling of anger and fear and indignation all mixed and intermingled. In our passage today, we're going to see Paul is experiencing a very, very similar feeling. As we look in the passage, as you've probably already heard as we were reading it, he's defending himself. He's defending himself from some accusations that people are levying against him about his ministry. And so as we look into the passage, Paul's trying to make it abundantly clear that the accusations that are being levied against him are not true. And to understand what Paul is being accused of, we have to understand a little bit better how teaching and religious philosophical education happened in the ancient Roman world. Very briefly, if you go into a city now, you might see a, um, a, a musician or a magician or a dancer on the side of the street trying to do anything, wear anything, play anything, just to make a buck. They try to get people's attention, entertain them, and maybe out of gratitude, the people who are listening will give them a dollar or two. This is really similar to how a lot of philosophical and religious education would happen in that day. There were official religious teachers and official philosophers and teachers. But there were also these migrant teachers. And it's funny, we read some things from ancient writers in that day, accounts of how they really didn't like these people who were teaching on the street. They looked at these people and they called them wandering beggar philosophers. Um, Because really what these people were doing is they were saying anything, teaching anything, doing anything just to put a buck in their pocket. Their careers were really based upon flattery and trying to entertain and do anything anything to get that dollar. And so as we look at this passage, what we're seeing is that this is what Paul is being accused of. Likely people in Thessalonica who were the official teachers, religious 
and philosophical teachers of that day were looking at Paul and saying, that's all he is. He's just trying to get a buck from you. He's just trying to, to further his ministry to gain his own glory and gain his own personal reward. And so this is what Paul is being accused of. And as we look at this passage, Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear that that is not the case. And that is not the case. And so in the first six verses, Paul is denying it. He's trying to give proof of his pure motivation. And so he starts doing so here in, in verse 2. I'll read it for us. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul is saying, if you think I'm doing this just to put a buck in my pocket, if you think I'm doing this for my own personal gain, look at what it's costing me. Conflict and suffering. All I've gained from the ministry that I did amongst you was conflict and suffering. And as we know from reading on into Paul's letters, this pattern doesn't stop. We come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we read a story after story of things that happened to Paul, uh, conflict and suffering throughout his ministry. That passage is called Paul's Hall of Pain, of all the hardships that comes from his ministry. And so Paul's trying to make it clear, it's not for my own personal gain that I'm doing this ministry. In fact, it's costing me a lot of pain suffering. And he continues uh, to rack up arguments for his innocence as we move on into verse 5 and 6. For he never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul calls in this passage, he's calling the Thessalonians to think back, to remember so people are accusing me of this, but if you think back, you'll remember the motivation behind my ministry. You'll remember how I acted amongst you. In, in verse 10, he does the same thing, and he says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Just think back. You were there. So in verse 5, did we come to you with words of flattery? The answer is No. Uh, they felt no need to swindle people with the gospel and, or act like a used car salesman to get them to buy into this gospel. Did we come to you with greed? Uh, no. Paul was not coming to get a dime in his pocket. Rather, he says in verse 9, that they went out of their way not to, not to insult, not to draw money out of them. They actually got their own jobs when they were in town to prove that they weren't just there to get money out of these people. Verse 6, did we come seeking glory from any of you? Again, the answer is no. Paul actually says, because I was apostle of Christ, I could have asked for glory. I could have asked for you to treat me with a certain level of respect. But rather, Paul chose to take the, the, the tack of servanthood, a self-forgetful ministry to the Thessalonians. And so this is the way that Paul was doing ministry amongst the Thessalonians. And the point here, the point that we're seeing is that Paul was benefiting practically nothing from doing the ministry there. That these accusations that he was just there to put a dime in his pocket to build his own glory are completely unfounded. That's the point that Paul's trying to get at. So the question we have to ask is what was Paul's motivation? Why was Paul there? Why was he preaching the gospel? And as we ask ourselves that question, we're going to see he has two different motivations, and those two motivations are also our motivations for sharing the gospel with people in our lives. 
And so the first motivation we're going to see in verses 3 and 4. Back in 3 and 4. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. That's a summary of everything so far. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Paul's first motivation, his first motivation is because of his love for God, he desires to obey God. Because of his devotion to God, he desires to obey the call that he has been given. To think about this, I like to think about a soldier. At the moment that a soldier signs his name with a recruiter and is deployed, he no longer has any right to say to his commander, Okay, but what about, what about me? <laughs> uh, I need to weigh the options for myself. I need to see how this feels for me before I make any commitments. He's already committed to surrender his life and to serve and to obey uh, his, his commander. And this is the way that Paul is responding here. He's saying to them, um, I've been entrusted with the gospel, so I speak. He's been entrusted with the gospel, so he speaks. He doesn't weigh the options. Paul simply obeys out of his love for the Lord, he simply obeys the Lord and the thing that God is asking him to do. He's a man on a mission, basically. We remember reading back in Acts that he had a, he had a vision from God in the night of a man in Macedonia calling him to this region. God has been clear. God wants him there. And God has been clear. He's entrusted him with the gospel. And he's entrusted him with the gospel. Verse 4, so he speaks. It's really that simple. He's simply obeying God out of his love for God. And we see the same thing today with, with missionaries. I think the best example that we have today is missionaries who go to Muslim countries. If you want to receive glory for your ministry, come home and write missionary letters saying, we've seen 100 people come to Christ this year. You don't go to a Muslim country. If you want to have a secure, safe place to live, uh, you don't go to a Muslim country. Why do, why do missionaries go to Muslim countries? They go to Muslim countries because they've been called to go to Muslim countries. And out of their loving obedience to God, they follow that call. And that's a picture of Paul's ministry, um, of the motivation behind Paul's ministry. Paul proclaims the gospel out of his love for God, but that's also a picture of the motivation behind us and the way that we do our ministry in our own lives. Because we too have been given a mission. We too have been given a clear mission from Jesus Christ. He says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So our motivation to do this work, to do discipleship like we thought about last week, it stems from our love and desire to obey um, our King, Jesus Christ. We proclaim the gospel out of our loving obedience to God. We proclaim the gospel out of our love and obedience to God. But now as we move on into the second half of this passage, looking at, looking at verse 7 through 10, we'll see that Paul isn't only preaching the gospel to the Thessalonians out of a loving obedience for God. That's half of it. But moving on, we also see that he's proclaiming the gospel out of his love for the Thessalonians. So Paul and we don't only preach the gospel out of our loving obedience to God. We preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, share the gospel out of our love for God and others. Out of our love for God and others. Verse 7 through 10. 
but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witness in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how, like a child with a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I, I love reading the second half of this passage because in it, Paul's love is dripping, isn't it? Don't you just see how he's gushing over these people? Um, it, and it's not the type of love that one would write in a love letter. Um, it's the type of love that a mother or a father would write to his children. It's a paternal and a maternal, a parental love. And that's why in this passage, Paul likens himself to a nursing mother in the way that he loves and nurtures and cares for this, these people. He likens himself to a father, a loving father, and how he charges, exhorts, and, and, and asks them to continue in their walk. Because we all know, a mother and a father love their kids equally, but that love manifests itself very differently. I like to think about um, if a, a kid coming home from a soccer game, muddy and shivering and cold. He walks in the back door, and the mother's love at, causes her to say, oh, come in, put your clothes in the laundry room, go upstairs, take a shower, get comfortable. But the father's love causes him to say, did you win? He desires, it's both a, a place of love. He wants him to win. The mother wants him to be comfortable. But the mother and the father, they, they exhibit their love differently. And so that's actually, it's a, I think it's funny because Paul is playing into a stereotype here. But it's a very true stereotype. And you laughed because you probably experienced that in your life. I didn't mind. But this is the difference between mothers and fathers. And so first, Paul um, loves them like a nursing mother. Uh, verse 7 again. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. And so doesn't, doesn't that just sound like something a mother would say? I mean, all through, we were gentle among you, affectionately desirous of you, uh, share our own selves with you, sacrificially. Um, you've become very dear to us. It, like a mother, Paul's love for the Thessalonian is, is gentle. It's nurturing. We see that in verse 9, how they went out of their way not to be a burden to them, uh, to care for them. We see that in verse 8, that it's a, that it's a sacrificial love. They give their own selves for them. And so Paul's love for them manifests itself in a motherly way. In these two ways, it causes her, it causes him to give two gifts. And the first gift that we see in verse 8 is the gospel. It's his love for the Thessalonians that causes Paul to bring the gospel uh, to, to these people that he loves. Um, if, if somebody that you knew was dying and you had the antidote, this is, this is, it's such a clear picture that you would go across mountains and oceans. You would do anything to get the antidote to your friend uh, to save them because you love them. It's your love that drives you 
to bring this salvation, this, this gift to them. This, the gospel is the perfect gift of love. If we can give the gift of the gospel, we're giving people life. We're giving people freedom. We're giving people a family. Paul's love for the Thessalonians moves him, motivates him to do whatever it takes to bring the gospel to them. And the second gift that he gives is, him, is, is his own self. He serves them. He loves them. He cares for them. And he sacrifices for their good. We proclaim the gospel, Paul proclaimed the gospel, out of, God, out of his love for God and for others. So the question we have to ask is, how, how can we love the people around us in this maternal way? How can we love our friends uh, like a mother, like Paul did in this passage? I think the first thing is just to share the love of Christ, uh, to serve one another, to serve our neighbors, to take care of our neighbor's kids when they have to go to work, to to help them shovel snow in the winter. Just share the love of Christ that's overflowing out of you. This is a nurturing, a caring type of love. I think the other way, though, is to, is to preach the gospel to people. Regardless of the discomfort that comes, regardless of the, of the un, un, uncomfortable situations, um, speaking the gospel to the people we love, to the people that we hope to give this good gift to, is another way that we can share this maternal love with the people around us. And now as we move into the last few verses, we see that Paul loves them like a father, and we see exactly what that looks like. So I'll read verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So once again, we think back to those father stories, those father stories that we all have, this, this tough love. Because what we see of the type of love that Paul is giving to the Thessalonians here, it's the type of thing that causes our, our fathers to try to prepare us for the real world, try to push us on and on in our lives to prepare us for what's coming. Um, it, it might not be as as uh, enjoyable all the time, but it's good, and it's coming from a place of love. And so we dive into this passage, and Paul is loving them like a father in two ways. First, verse 10, like we saw last week, he's modeling godly living for them. He's modeling the Christian life for them. You are witnesses in God also how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. I mean, I'm, we do... We, that happens in intentional ways and intentional ways. Like I remember my father. My father instilled some really good practices in me. But then also, a couple weeks ago, I was driving down the road, and I coughed. And I was like, my father just coughed. <laughs> I picked up the way he coughed. I picked up his mannerisms just by being around him. We imitate our, our fathers and our mothers. And so this is the first way. Modeling godly living for them. Because as we model godly living, people learn from that and, and imitate that and grow from that. And the second way that he loved them like a father, that was by charging them and encouraging them to godly living. We see this in 11 through 12 where he says, For you know how, like a father with his children, he exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. Paul longs for that growth. 
He doesn't want them to stay babies in their faith. He longs for them to grow, to go, to fulfill the mission that's been given to them, to be disciples who make disciples. This is what Paul desires for him, them, and it's his love for them that causes him to push like this. And this pushing, it's not for, it's not, it isn't for no reason. It isn't for no reason. We know clearly why Paul is pushing like this because of what we see at the end of that verse in verse 12. His pushing, his encouragement is coming with a goal. The goal is that the Thessalonians would, verse 12, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We have been called into the kingdom of God. We have been called to share in the glory of Christ. And so when we push each other out of love towards looking more and more like Christ in our lives, what we're doing is we're helping each other into this future kingdom, into this, into this hope, into this glory that we're going to receive, to live into this reality that is now ours, now and forever. We want each other to live into the kingdom and into the glory of God. And so like a father, he works to help prepare us for that reality. He's getting them ready for the real world, the eternal world, the eternal kingdom of Christ. And so the question is, how can we proclaim the gospel like a father? How can our love for people drive us to proclaim the gospel to them like a father? And I think the answer is it just it causes us to long for grace. To see our friends who are walking with the Lord and long to encourage them, exhort them, and charge them on towards Christ to look more and more like Christ. To let our love for people cause us to long for their growth as much as we long for our own growth. I mean, do we feel that way about our brothers and sisters around us? Don't we, don't we long to see our brothers and sisters grow? When, we were, when I was at the bonfire a couple nights ago and I heard the testimony of Ben Locke and how God worked in his life, I was so encouraged to see my brother growing in his faith, to see how God worked in his life. And I long for that for all of us, to grow like this, to, to look more and more like Christ with our lives and be a light in the world around us as we prepare to walk in the kingdom of God and in his glory. So we proclaim the gospel out of love for God and others. So the three questions, I guess, as we, as we, as we end, are do, do you love God in a way that drives you forward? Does your love for God cause you to serve God? Cause you to long to obey Him, to make Him happy, to please Him? This Christian life, it's, sometimes we don't talk about this enough, but it's for God. We benefit. We get a whole new life, a whole new world. But in the end, at the end of the day, it's for the glory of God. And so does your life, the life that you've received in Christ, drive you to give him the glory that he deserves? And the second question is, who in your life do you love in a way that, that you long for their growth? Who do you love in your life that you long to give them the gift of the gospel? Give them the gift of self-sacrifice. And how can you love like a mother? How can you love them like a mother, caring for them, nurturing them, as they're young in their faith? And how can you love them like a father, 
encouraging them and pushing them on to look more and more like Christ in discipling them. So as we come to the end of the passage today and we, we prepare our hearts for communion, uh, I hope that these, these questions are, are circulating in your head. Um, our faith isn't a faith that just happens in our heart. It's a faith that is then lived out in our lives. We proclaim the gospel out of love for God and for others. So pray with me as we begin to uh, prepare our hearts for communion. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that we have something that's reliable and true that we can base our life upon, that we can learn from, that we can be motivated by. These words aren't just words that you gave us um, so that we could read them and hold on to them in our hearts, but also so that we could live them. Um, and they could change the way that we act and live and move. So Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion now, uh, we ask that this would be a time of worship, Father. Worship that uh, as we remember what your son did on the cross. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.